How do you respond when you are under pressure, when the stakes are high and there's tension and there's uh, pressure upon you, difficulty coming your way? How do you usually respond? Two stories. Uh, First one, I was 10 or 12 years old. And uh, you know when you go to Canucks games, they usually bring out little mini minor hockey players to play in between the periods, and it's so cute, and you watch them, and you cheer, on, cheer them on. Uh, so my team got to go and do that in, in a Canucks game. We were so excited. We got to go in a special entrance into the rink, and we put on our gear in the, the locker rooms that were designed for NBA players, so everything was three feet higher than it is in normal life. And, and uh, you only, when you get out there, you only get four or five minutes on the ice. And so I was determined that I was going to score a goal on the ice of what was then General Motors Place, because this is where my heroes played hockey, and I wanted to score. And scoring was something that I did on my team, and so I thought, this, this is my chance. i got to do it. And I got an opportunity. About halfway through, I had a breakaway. Me and the goalie. Nobody else around. Now, I, I realized in that moment how small I felt in this huge arena with 18,630 people, And uh, I heard, as I got in towards the goalie, the noise in the arena get a little louder, like people were excited, like, oh, here he goes, is he going to score? And in that moment of pressure, when the stakes were high and I was about to achieve my goal, I forgot everything I knew about what to do on a breakaway. Normally, I would try a deke or try and find an open corner and shoot it there, Uh, and I just completely froze and forgot it all, and I shot the puck and I hit the goalie right in the chest, the worst place to shoot it, because he doesn't have to do anything to stop it. It just hits him. And the whole arena went, oh. And I didn't get another chance. The pressure came, and I forgot about everything that I'd learned, all of my training, all of my practice, and, uh, and I, I forgot what I was supposed to do. Second story, grade nine. Uh, I'm in keyboarding class, and uh, we're, we're learning how to type, and my teacher sets up the keyboarding Olympics, So we have different events that we're going to do. And he splits the class into groups of three or four. Now, uh, there was a girl in my class that I had a little bit of a crush on. Of course, I didn't tell her that because in high school, I was terrified of girls. I just didn't ever speak to them. And so as luck would have it, she was on my group in, in my country, so to speak. And one of the events, I kid you not, was this. The teacher had one student sit in the chair as if they were about to to type. And a second student kneeled down behind the chair, put their arms around the person in the chair, and did the typing. And then a third person told the person typing what to type, so they would read the screen to the person in the back. Now, you can see where this is going. The girl that I like sits in the chair, and I'm the one with my arms around her, uh, with my fingers on the keyboard. I'm thinking the stakes are high right now, because if you want to oppress a girl, you know, keyboarding skills is how how you do it. This is how you win a girl. And so um, I I start to hear what the instructions are. The pressure was high. The stakes were there. The tension was in the room. And I aced it 100% on this typing exercise. I think my teacher thought we cheated because nobody else did anywhere near. But the pressure was high. I needed to impress the girl. And uh, 100% got it right. How do you respond when you're under pressure? Now, of course, these two stories had, you know, no lasting ramifications, really. But there are times when we go through pressure in life, and we have the opportunity to rely on the things that we've learned, to rely on our training, or we have the opportunity to forget all about that and panic and freak out and respond in fear. 
And when it comes to faith, sometimes we're in situations that are so difficult and so heavy upon us, it feels like a storm. And we can remember the faith that we've developed in God over the years and the ways that God has proved himself to us and the way in which we know God loves us. Or we can forget about all of that and cry out to God, why have you abandoned me? So the story we read today in in the book of Mark, uh, as we continue our series, Find and Follow, in which we're examining what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to to follow after him, to apprentice under him. We read this story where the disciples are in a literal storm, and they have the opportunity either to respond in faith or in fear, and we find that they fail rather spectacularly. Now, in chapter 4, the the last story we studied was at the end of chapter 3. This story is at the end of chapter 4. In the intervening time, Jesus has been teaching And he's been teaching about the kingdom of God and saying the kingdom of God is being established and it is spreading. It's spreading slowly, sometimes secretively, sometimes subtly, but it is growing. It is expanding in its influence. And the invitation to the disciples as he tells these parables about the kingdom of God is is you're invited to be a part of this. You're invited to, to join in on what it is that I'm doing. To join me in faith in this kingdom of God adventure that I'm establishing here. And then at the end of chapter 4, after all this teaching, this is what happens, starting in verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up in the Greek. A great storm came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. In the Greek, there was a great calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified in the Greek. They feared a great fear and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Interesting story because as we read through Mark, we see lots of instances where the disciples fail. Now that's actually part of how we learn about what it means to be a disciple is by learning what not to do from from these 12 guys. A lot of times in those other stories, we read it and we think, wow, the disciples really should have figured that out. Like, how did they miss that? How did they respond that way? Really, are they so dense that they didn't get it? Well, when we read this story, I think we read it with some sympathy for the disciples. Like, I would have been pretty terrified too if I was in that boat and thought I was going to drown. So it it seems as if we might want to give them a pass for their lack of faith, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't give them a free pass, and we're going to discover why as we study the story. The main idea that we're going to get to uh, by the end of our time together today is, is this. Because Jesus calmed the greatest storm, we can act on faith in the midst of ours. Because Jesus calmed the greatest storm, we can act on faith in the midst of ours. 
Uh, I interrupted the, the reading there to insert some Greek phrases throughout because the Greek, uh, when Mark writes it in Greek, he, he re- uh, repeats a phrase three times. It's the word great. Uh, he says, there's a great storm, there was a great calm, and the disciples feared a great fear. So we're going to look at those three ideas uh, one at a time. First, the great storm. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a, a meeting for pastors, and the guy who was leading the meeting spent probably 15 or 20 minutes talking about all of the ways in which 2020 has been hard. I think he had three PowerPoint slides that were just bullet points, one after the other after another. Of course, starting with coronavirus and COVID and people getting sick, people, people dying because of the virus, uh, the lockdowns that were put in place and the restrictions on movement and how that's made it difficult for families not being able to, to see each other, people dying alone in the hospital, uh, people suffering alone w- without family members able to come and, and be with them. Uh, you know, the, these lockdowns brought with it a fear of, of you know, government overreach and, and are they infringing on our rights and freedoms as people? Uh, of course, then there was the, the uh, situation with George Floyd and the, the Black Lives Matter movement and conversations about racism and protests and riots and, and all, everything that came with that, the, the upheaval that was felt in our society and the anxiety that was in our society in so many different levels. You know, compounding that, of course, is the political climate in the United States, particularly, and the election coming up and everything that happened with that, all of the, the rhetoric and, um, you know, strong opinions that were dividing families and even dividing churches across North America. Um, and then, of course, as a church, in all of that, we're figuring out what are we supposed to do and you know, some people are, are fearing that religious freedoms are being suppressed and taken away. And, and it's, it's been a hard year. And on top of all of that, I mean, we even lost Alex Trebek in 2020. Like, is, is there anything else that could happen this year? That seems to be the feeling, right? It feels like we're in this big storm. Wave after wave after wave crashing into the boat. Just when we feel like we're getting over one wave, another one comes and knocks us sideways. You know, just the other week, of course, the more provincial orders uh, in BC, and so we try to figure out what that means, another, another wave coming over the boat. It's been hard. And there's been really uh, a lot of ways in which we have been impacted in our personal lives because of everything that's happened this year. So I was in this meeting, and by the time uh, the, the leader of the meeting got to the end of the list, I was like, can you just stop talking about all of this? Like, this is depressing. But it's a reality. It's, it's the storm that we've lived in in 2020. And we're still in the midst of it in a lot of ways. The disciples are in a literal storm on the Sea of Galilee. These storms were common on the Sea of Galilee because of the geography of, of the area. Sometimes the wind would come up without warning and, and uh, there would be these, these massive storms. Now, a lot, some of these disciples were fishermen. So, they were used to some unrest on the water, but even they are terrified in the midst of this storm. Uh, the waves were, were huge. The wind was howling. The rain was coming down. And they're afraid for their lives. The disciples panic. An opportunity for them to practice faith, to remember the things that they've been taught. But they panic. And then... <laughs> juxtaposed with the disciples' panic is Jesus asleep in the midst of this giant storm. 
And I think his sleep is, is not so much a lack of concern as much as it communicates to us that he's at perfect peace. He's not nervous. He's not worried. He's at perfect peace. But the disciples certainly aren't. Uh, they are panicking. There, there are three main stories that happen in the book of Mark that happen on the water. All three of them reveal the disciples' lack of faith. And part of the reason why is because the sea in that day was a symbol of chaos and evil. It was unpredictable. It was wild. It was untamable. It was uh, the depths of the sea were unexplored and unknown. It was a, a place where chaos reigned. It's the territory of the devil. So for this kind of thing to happen on the water was they, the, the fear would have been palpable. The, the sense of evil pervading the situation would have been very real to these disciples. They would have been very afraid. And so they wake up Jesus and they ask the question, don't you care? Don't you care? You ever asked that question before to God? God, don't you see that my marriage is falling apart? Don't, don't you see that my health is failing? Don't you see that my kids are rebelling? Don't you see that I'm in this conflict? Don't you see that I'm, I don't have enough money to make ends meet? Like, don't, don't you see? Don't you care? Probably we've all asked the question at some point. Maybe you're asking it right now. God, don't you see everything that's going on this year? Don't you care? And we wish we could live in periods of great calm, don't we? We wish that the sea was always smooth. And sometimes we live there, but often we don't. Often we're in the storm. And Jesus actually allows those that he loves to go through these periods of time these periods of storm. They ask, do you care? Jesus asks them in response, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Tim Keller writes this, Jesus' question to them, where's your faith, has behind it this thought, your premise is wrong. You should have known better. I do allow people I love to go through storms. You had no reason to panic. You should have known that I care by now. But I allow you to walk through these storms. And I'm with you in the storm. See, we're called to have faith. Faith is both a, a divine gift, something that God gives to us, and something that we're supposed to exercise. It's like a muscle. We, we, we need to exercise. We need to work out that muscle so it'll get stronger. Jesus is, is saying to his disciples, I've given you this gift of faith, but you're not exercising it. The critical element of faith, by the way, is, is not its strength, but the object of the faith. So Jesus says re repeatedly, he says, you, you can have faith that's this small. You can have faith the size of a mustard seed. And if you go and say to that mountain over there, you need to move over there, that mountain will move. You know, speaking metaphorically to say, if you have just a little bit of faith, God can do amazing things through that faith. Because the object of our faith is the all-powerful God of the universe who calms storms and who deeply loves us. So even with just a little bit of faith, 
we can approach these storms with a completely different perspective. See, sometimes in the midst of our own personal storms, we forget that God has established his dominion over a chaotic world invaded by forces that wreak havoc. There is evil in the world. There are storms that confront us. But Jesus is in control of absolutely everything. And so we can have peace in the midst of our storm if our faith is firmly rooted in him. If we remember the things that we have learned and put them into practice. So there are great storms. There is also a great calm in this story. That's how Mark describes it. There's a great calm. Jesus stands up and commands the storm to quiet and to be still. Interestingly, these are the same commands he gave to a demon in Mark chapter 1 and when he drove out a demon. Quiet, be still. Uh, also, for those of you who are interested in, in grammar, there's a, a, the verb form that, that Mark uses in these commands that Jesus gives is a, a perfect imperative, something that's used only four times in the New Testament and never in this way. It gives us the sense that this command is something that is completed and something that is lasting. It's a, a, a total command that Jesus gives. And Tim Keller says, the storm obeyed like a compliant child. It calmed down. Right away. Think about that for a moment. Think about the, the storm. Have you ever seen a movie where there's a, a great storm? Right? Like think of the, of the movie Finest Hour where this, this boat is being tossed to and fro over the waves and the wind is howling and the rain is coming down and, and people are panicking on board trying to figure out how they're going to survive and, and, and things are flying all over the place because things aren't tied down and the boat is moving too, too much. Jesus speaks this order and there's quiet. And there's calm. Like, it's not like the wind died down a little bit and the waves just weren't as rough and the disciples thought, okay, this is more manageable now. And it was like the kind of calm where you can see your reflection in the water. Where the wind isn't even making a ripple. Great calm. I imagine the only sound really left to hear is the disciples breathing hard from all of the bailing that they've been doing. The boat's probably still half full of water. But suddenly there is calm and peace. And probably the disciples would have reflected on Psalm 107. Maybe not in that moment, but eventually... This is what it says in Psalm 107. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. This psalm describes how God calms the storm in a literal way. And now Jesus does the same thing. Now, 
Mark doesn't often explicitly tell us the identity of Jesus, but it's one of his main themes to show us the identity of Jesus through the story. This is another point where he does that. Just like God calmed the sea in Psalm 107, Jesus does so here. So Jesus is himself taking on this role of God because, in fact, he is God. Jesus has power over the natural order. And if that's true, imagine just how much power he has over the storms that you face in your life. Of course, that doesn't mean he will take away every storm. He allows us to walk through these storms. But it does mean he has the power in the midst of it. So look, you might look at the world today and you might be be really worried. You might be concerned. You might be really afraid. You might be saying to yourself, you know, the, the, the forces of, of evil are, are, are banding together, bringing calamity upon us uh, as the world. You, you might look at, at, at what's happening and say, the church is losing its freedom. Or the government is controlling us too much. And where will it end? Or you might say, hey, this virus is out of control. If we don't buckle down, this thing's going to overtake us and And it's not going to be good. And you might be living in fear of that. You might just simply be thinking the world has lost its mind. Okay, so pretend all of those things are true. Pretend that your worst fears are actually going to be realized. And all of those things are going to happen at the same time. Jesus still stands in absolute peace and absolute power. He is sovereign over everything. His dominion is eternal. There is no part of Jesus that is wondering how this is going to play out. There is no part within Jesus that he's biting his fingernails and hoping that certain things don't happen. Jesus is at perfect peace. He is in control in the middle of the storm. And though it might not feel calm right now, He will bring that ultimate peace, that ultimate calm. We know that he is with us. We know that he has brought us through past storms. And so as we feel this pressure and the weight of what's going on, we can respond in faith. Now, there's a great storm, there's a great calm. Interesting response by the disciples at the end of the story. You would think that the disciples, as they were very afraid in the storm, Jesus calms the storm, you would have thought that they would have responded with gratitude and with excitement. Instead, Mark says, they feared a great fear. They were terrified. Why were they terrified? I think in that moment, they realized that Jesus is just as unmanageable as the storm, but infinitely more powerful. Right, like if they, if they were putting the pieces together in their mind, like only God calms storms, and now Jesus has calmed a storm, that means God is sitting in the boat with us right now. And that produced this fear in them, this awe, this wonder. And the question that really confronts them is that, will this fear turn to faith? Will it turn to faith in this man who they had just seen calm the storm? And the true test, of course, would be the next storm, 
Would they remember the lessons that they learned in this storm as they approach the next one? When the pressure mounts and the tension is growing and the stakes are high, will they remember the things that they've learned? See, we as human beings are prone to spiritual amnesia, forgetting the things that God has done in the past. But if we could remember God's faithfulness, it will help us to respond in faith the next time we get into a storm. So a final thought then as we close, and, and this, this ties it all together. Uh, Mark, as he writes this story in Mark chapter 4, he is intentionally writing it in a way that will remind us of another story, of another storm. The story of Jonah is actually the one that Mark is thinking about as he writes this one. There are elements that are the, sta- the same between both stories. There's uh, a storm. Uh, there, there is, well, first of all, I should r- remind us all that Jonah was a prophet, of course, and God told him to go to Nineveh to preach the good news and tell people to repent. Uh, Jonah said, no thanks, not interested. He ran the other direction and he's on a boat in the middle of the sea. And here's where the, the, the story parallels begin. There, there's a storm, a great storm. And the, the people in, the disciples in Mark 4 and the sailors on the boat in Jonah are afraid for their lives. They say, we're, we're going to die. Uh, there's a character that's sleeping. In Mark 4, Jesus is asleep on the boat. In Jonah, Jonah's the one sleeping below board. There's the, the comment, we're going to die. The disciples say that. Uh, they, they are afraid that they're going to die. The sailors wake up Jonah and say, hey, we're all going to die here. Is there something that you can do? Can you pray to your God? After the storm is calm, uh, there is a great calm in both stories. The, the storm ceases. It stops. And there's this great fear in both stories as well. The disciples feared a great fear. In Jonah, it said that the, the sailors feared God and offered sacrifices to him. So there's these paralleled, parallel elements. Now, of course, in the story of Jonah, Jonah says, the storm here is my fault. I'm running away from God, and, and it's my fault that we're experiencing this storm. So if you will throw me overboard, the storm will stop. If, if, you, will, uh, if you will toss me over, I will sacrifice my life so that you might live. You know, one man's life here, one, one man's death here will mean life for all else. If you allow me to die in your place, you will live. This is the message of Jonah to the sailors. Now, of course, Jesus in Mark 4 doesn't jump overboard. But it reminds us that Jesus was about to enter his own storm, the greatest of all storms. You know, in in Matthew, Jesus is actually pretty explicit about this connection between Jonah and Jesus' own death and resurrection uh, Matthew uh, 12, verse 40, Jesus says, For as Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus was about to enter the greatest of storms. Tim Keller writes about this really beautifully. He says this, Jesus can only do this because he was thrown, willingly like Jonah, into the ultimate storm. Under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm wasn't calmed, not until it swept Jesus away, until he had died on that cross. 
And if the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm, what makes you think he would abandon you in the much smaller storms you're experiencing right now? Someday, of course, he will return and still all storms for eternity. If you let that penetrate you to the very center of your being, you will know that he loves you. You will know that he cares. And you will have the power and the faith to handle anything else in life with poise. See, Jesus calmed the greatest of storms. And so we can act on faith in the midst of ours because we know that he has not and will not abandon us because he's proved his love to us by his sacrifice on the cross. Jesus calmed the greatest of storms so that we can act in faith in the midst of ours. But we do have a choice in that storm, don't we? We can remember the things that we've learned and how God is faithful and that Jesus sacrificed himself on our behalf. We could remember our training, so to speak, like me in keyboarding class. Or we can forget everything that we've learned, like me on the ice in General Motors Place, and respond with fear and panic instead. What do you choose? As we continue to face the storm of this year, how do you choose to respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are with us in the midst of our storms, and none of us like to be in the middle of storms, but we also know that you use them for good in our lives. Sometimes we don't know how until much later. Sometimes we never know. But regardless, we know that you are with us and so we can have faith in you because we know that you love us. Thank you that you proved that love to us by going to the cross, by entering into that storm so that we didn't have to. Thank you for your death and resurrection which makes it possible for us to have eternal life with you and also gives us the courage to face our storms today. Fill us with greater faith, we pray that we might honor you and that our faith would be a demonstration of what it is you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.